0: Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is day 747 and we come to Isaiah 53. So, Isaiah 53, one of the great chapters of the Bible. And, uh, well, 747 is one of the great airplanes of all time. Probably my favorite uh, airplane of all time, at least of passenger jets and My favorite chapter in Isaiah, one of my favorite books. So here we are in this wonderful high and holy ground of Isaiah 53. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we go through this together. Father in heaven, you are so good. Your word is perfect. And there are parts of your word that are so powerful, so rich in detail, so amazing that they leave us stunned and speechless. And this is one of those chapters So I pray that you would give me the grace to do justice to your word, give my words clarity and faithfulness, and may your Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide and write this word on our hearts that we might glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, it really is a continuation of the servant song that began at the end of chapter 52 that we were in a couple of days ago. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And I said about 52.13 that Jesus quotes this in John 12. And he says, now is the hour. Now the Son of Man will be lifted up. And if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And John tells us he spoke of, of his death on the cross by this. So this is about Christ on the cross. And as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred, marred beyond human semblance, so his form beyond that of the children of mankind. When Jesus was beaten with the Roman cat of nine tails to be lashed and scourged, his flesh was torn apart, and then the crown of thorns was put on his head, and his brow was pierced, and blood covered his face, he was he was marred. He was disfigured. And so... So by being so marred and disfigured, he shall sprinkle many nations. His blood sprinkles clean many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Because he was despised and rejected, because he was marred beyond all human semblance over the course of human history and throughout the world today, hundreds and hundreds of kings have had nothing to say before Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, but have had to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of god the father for what they had not been told they see and that which they had not heard they understand no one had ever anticipated that salvation for the world would come through the death Of the Son of God. No one ever really anticipated, although Isaiah 52 had been in God's Word for 700 years before Jesus came into the world, no one had anticipated that the Messiah would bring victory to God's people over sin and death by being rejected, by being despised, by being marred, by being crushed for our iniquities. And yet this is what he has done. Who has believed what he heard from us? and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. This news, this good news of the gospel, of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which are both contained so clearly in this chapter, is something that people will not receive as being the good news of salvation. It's something that does not make sense to the human mind unless the Holy Spirit comes and opens eyes and softens hearts and prepares souls to receive this word from God. So, having already announced this suffering servant who is marred and who sprinkles, having announced this good news, Isaiah in his song backs up and says that Jesus was someone of no particular beauty or attraction or form or majesty. Remember, he was the child of peasants. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. He was visited by shepherds by foreigners. He had to flee into Egypt to escape the wrath of the king. He grew up in Nazareth, a backwater town in the hill country of Galilee that had no importance in the world. He ministered to the least and to the outcast, to lepers and to women and to demon-possessed and to Gentiles and to the poor. He was despised and rejected by men. From the very beginning of his ministry, Those who had power, those who had learning, had no tolerance for Jesus. He came unto his own, John 1 tells us, and his own did not receive him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Many ways throughout his life Jesus was grieved. He lost his earthly father Joseph sometime before he began his earthly ministry. He wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He saw the oppression of the Romans. He saw the injustice of the rich oppressing the poor. He saw many who were diseased and possessed by demons and who were ill-taught and ill-led. And the Gospels tell us he had compassion. He was moved deeply with, with compassion for the people. He was a man of sorrows. But in the end, the sorrows that crushed him were the sorrows for our sin. He was despised and rejected because he was being made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He identifies with our sorrows. He identifies with our brokenness. He identifies with our human condition. And yet ultimately, what caused him to be crushed, to be pierced, to be chastised, to be wounded, was our transgressions, our iniquities, and our healing and our peace. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've sinned against God. The different words used for sin here are iniquity, our wickedness, our filth, our transgressions, our willful breaking of the law of God. It was put on him. Our evil, our deliberate breaking of the law of God and our wicked filth was all put on Jesus. The Lord laid it on him was pleased to crush him so that we might be saved and when jesus was going into this when jesus was being led to this he did not object he did not complain he did not defend himself he did not try to escape he opened not his mouth he was silent jesus on his trials never defended himself from any of the accusations The only thing he ever said was to give his accusers clear reason to follow through and put him to death. He said, in the future you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. A direct quote from Daniel chapter 7, but they knew what it was. He was claiming to be the Son of God and the Glorious One, and so they put him to death. They put him to death. And the specific detail of verse 9 is interesting. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Jesus died with the wicked. To be crucified publicly and shamed is to be identified with wicked people. He was between two robbers. And yet, his tomb that he was buried in belonged to one of the members of the Sanhedrin and had never been used. Joseph of Arimathea donated his tomb, unused, a rich man's tomb, close by in the garden, near to where Jesus was crucified, laid with the rich in his death, although he had done no violence. Jesus never harmed anyone. Jesus had power. He had power over demons. He had power over sin or death, disease, demons, storms, natural forces. He had great power. But he never used his power to defend himself or to harm anyone. He had done no violence. And Jesus never lied. He always spoke the truth. He was the truth. The very word of God made human flesh. There was no deceit in his mouth. And yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That night before the cross, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus prayed, your will be done, it was the will of the Father to crush him and to put him to grief. Jesus entered it willingly. He surrendered himself to the will of his Father because it was the only way. It was the only way for us to be freed from our sin. His soul made an offering for guilt. He was the sin offering, the guilt offering for our transgressions and yet look at this when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied wait a minute, I thought he was dead Yes, in verse 9, he's put into the grave, dead, crushed, killed as an offering. And yet he shall prolong his days, and yet he shall see and be satisfied. This is the resurrection of Jesus foretold, that he would be alive after he was dead. And being alive, he would cause the will of the Lord to prosper in his hands. Jesus is not only alive. But he's living and reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he is accomplishing the mission that God gave him to do in the world. Through the Great Commission, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, through his church, the body of Christ at work in the world, Jesus is carrying out the will of the Lord and it is prospering in his hand. Men and women, boys and girls are being called to Jesus from every tribe, tongue, people and nation to the ends of the earth. The gospel goes forward with power to save the lost and to build the church. Why does all this happen? Why should he be satisfied? Because by his knowledge, by his experiential knowledge of entering into being a sin sacrifice and dying for us, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, my servant, shall make many to be accounted righteous. We are accounted righteous. Here's the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. We are accounted righteous on the basis of what Jesus has done and that he bears our iniquities. Here's this great exchange that takes place at the cross. We get his righteousness, he takes our sin. We are accounted righteous, he is accounted a sinner on the cross. Therefore, he says, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. We are made heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We shall inherit the nations with him because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. This is the gospel. This servant song here at the end of 52 and all of 53, this is the gospel. It is Jesus Christ and what he has done to take away our sin and bring us righteousness, to defeat death and hell forever, and to cause the will of the Lord to prosper in the making of many disciples out of every nation, tribe, people, and tongue on earth. Our question is simple. How will we respond to this good news? Will it become the news that shapes and transforms and guides our lives? Or will we ignore it? Or will we try to compartmentalize it? This is the good news of the gospel. This is the will of the Lord. This is the salvation of God. There's nothing to do that would honor God but to worship Jesus and take this good news to everyone God gives us opportunity to share with. Let's pray. Father, you've paid the ultimate price. You've done everything. Lord Jesus, you have laid down your life. Holy Spirit, you have made us alive so that we might hear the message and believe the report. Transform us from being self-seeking, comfort-seeking, compromising, lukewarm, half-hearted people to being wholehearted, passionate, fired up, and on mission ambassadors for Christ, who carry the good news to the depth of our being in the very marrow of our bones, that it might come out for a world that doesn't always want to hear this, but needs to hear of what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well that's Isaiah 53. Thanks for joining me. Tomorrow we're going to go on, Lord willing, to Isaiah 54. Have a blessed day in the Lord.